Hey everybody, welcome to an all new episode of the Creators Outlet Podcast right here on YouTube and wherever you can get a podcast from. Don't forget, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast venue, make sure you come over and check us out and subscribe to the channel on YouTube so you can see everything we're talking about live recorded, of course. Uh, and uh, you can see all the imagery we're talking about. Uh, don't forget, uh, if you'd rather just go to one of the campaigns we talk about in the shows, just scroll for a little further down past the initial image on your podcast venue, and you'll have all the links right there. All right, now we're going to welcome our, our uh, special guest this evening, uh, Nick. What's up? Uh... The Phoenix Press guy. Uh, or, or, or as I uh, just meeting him for the first time vocally tonight, uh, referred to him as Rat Boy because he's got two pet rats. <laughs> that I do. He's he's hoping that one day one of them will become Splinter and train him in the ways. Yes, I I, I too desire to learn the the arts of ninjutsu. Who doesn't? I mean. That was that was my first. That was the first costume I actually wore to any kind of comic show. Was a ninja costume, and I I won first prize because nobody else dressed up. Oh my god! If you, if, uh, I, I I I used I used to dress as a turtle for Halloween, and I know there's like videos from when I was a kid back then. I think I actually walked up to the camera and said, "I'm a ninja turtle." Ah, oh, awesome. Yeah, sorry, folks. We don't have that. Uh, we don't have that footage. No, no, that's locked up in a vault somewhere, aka my, my mom's uh, closet. <laughs> so now, you if you know Nick personally, you might want to go uh, destroy yeah. the footage. <laughs> uh, no, I was thinking. Uh, Send it to me, and we'll uh, we'll edit it into a nice montage for his next campaign. If I ever get a hold of footage, uh, you will be one of the first ports to call. There, <laughs> I see. It is now enshrined on the internet, and the internet never forgets. Uh, sadly, no. Uh, <laughs> currently, they're they're screaming too loudly about a about a a hike a hike payment of their uh, their fabled blue check marks that mean nothing. Yeah, the the meltdown on Twitter is uh, it's it's a kind of a gold rush for salt miners. I will say that. Yeah, uh, the the meltdown on Twitter is just glorious. My favorite thing was like Amber Heard literally deleted her Twitter, um, and people people were speculating it's because Elon platformers he's trying to hide her info. Hun, he owns Twitter. He ha like you don't be like just because you deleted it. Don't you think the owner of Twitter, of all people, can grab that data if he wants? Yeah, but nobody cares about you, Amber. <sighs> you know, she deleted her Twitter. Ooh, shit happens. Um, and that, that'll be my uh, Amber turd joke for the night. I mean, honestly, uh, she's about three steps away from calling herself a sovereign citizen. I mean, mind. if you, if you look at some of this, the 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 crap she's been trying to spew, she might as well just but she might as well just go out and say, "I'm a sovereign citizen. Your laws don't apply to me." And uh, that too, 
is a lie. <laughs> Just about everything that came out during that thing. Well, one of the many, honestly. Yeah, that's, it was just crazy. My yeah. my favorite my favorite thing was uh, when they brought Jason Momoa on camera, and, <laughs> and he was just hitting on Johnny's uh, lady lawyer the entire time. I mean, to be fair, Camille, she's a good looking mm. woman, and and the way he defended Johnny, mm, I want a woman to defend me like that. Mm-hmm. Like you, you know, she made partner after the after the trial, right? Oh yeah. Like seriously, that woman is fire. <laughs> and then uh, J- Jason said, "Yeah, she. There was something in the in the pool when we were filming that wasn't there when we started filming. No, we don't. We didn't save the original one, but the props department made uh, made this mock up of it, and he holds up like this." Big brown piece of like coral reef. <laughs> I go, I don't even know where she hid this thing, but it was, or how she squeezed it out. But, <laughs> but I'm Amber Heard's friend. <laughs> no, you're not. Oh, the worst <laughs> one was was when they got Hamada on the stand, and like he just flat out admitted, like. Yeah, her and Momoa had, like, zero chemistry. We were barely able to get something in the editing room, but, like, we were already diminishing a role for the second movie. Yeah, it's just, you know, it was, it was so bad that now uh, that Fleck is in the second movie. Yeah, and I'm hoping they replace her with Amelia Clark, honestly. Anybody. I mean, I mean, they could they could replace her with uh, a wet paper bag, and it would probably be an, a better actor. Yeah. So, speaking of uh, the silver screen, let's uh, let's skip to uh, IPs of the silver screen, where uh, everything is a comic book movie nowadays. Um, oh yeah, it's like it's like everything is. It's like every company is a tech company now. They they want that uh they want that sweet money. Yeah, they want that prestige. What was it was just a little weird, but the only thing I'm waiting to see uh right now, like I'll watch Black Adam, you know, when it's free on HBO Max. Um but I I don't feel the need to go out and spend, you know, like 30 bucks for me and my girlfriend to sit there and watch a movie for like an hour. I mean, I, I spent $12 to go see it, but you know, that I did matinee, you know, and I saw it with a friend. So it was like at least a social outing and it's, it's an okay movie. Like it's, it's not like groundbreaking, but like it's at best solid. I, I, that's, that's the most charitable word I can use. Even that stretching it a bit Yeah. on the plus side. Uh, the Rock actually got Henry Cavill back as, as Superman. So, I mean, after like the reaction that like he literally got booed at Comic Con, yeah, he was gonna, um, yeah, you, you bet, you bet your, you bet your sweet butt, he was gonna do something. Mm. But uh, let's talk about your journey into comics. Where did this all start for you? 
well, one day my mom met my dad, and uh, <laughs> okay, that's a little bit too early. Um, but no, um, I started dabbling into comics probably late two thousands, probably you know my late high school, early after that kind of thing. Um, and I created my first two IPs then: Product Access and Turn Samurai. Uh, some of those names might be familiar to people. Um, and I kind of wrote the first few issues, and they kind of languished. Got involved with a third-party company up in Flint called Dark Elf Designs. Uh, worked with them for roughly about 10 years or so. I was, like, their submissions editor. I kind of worked my way up to be, like, uh, the head guy there. His name is Brian. His second-hand man. Um, late, late 2000s, about 2016, 2017... Uh, we started like a really big push to do the like kind of do the comics again, and then we published Product Access, the initial version, about 2018. 2019, I had a falling out with Brian, and I left the company, retained the rights to my two IPs because at the time Product Access was done, and then Turn Sam was kind of like starting to, starting to be developed. Uh, you know, formed my own company, the Phoenix Press, which I still have today. 2020 uh, released Project Access Issue One. Later that year, I attempted to do an Indiegogo for Torn Samurai. That thing uh, kind of got, got a bit of a kick caboodle kibosh into it. Salvaged it around early to mid 2021. Released Issue One of Torn Samurai earlier this. I'm giving the Cliff Notes version. Yeah. Um, uh, 2022 earlier this year, I did. The Indiegogo for issue two of Torrent Samurai that went really well. Putting off 500 copies, people like it, and then now I'm doing Screecher, which is uh, my other comic book. Uh, Torrent Samurai Product Access is kind of in a uh, kind of in the freezer at the moment. Uh, the artist that I was working with on that one, uh, we, we kind of had a bit of a falling out. That one's going to need to be rebooted at some point. So for right now, my main two comics are Turn Samurai and Screecher. Very well. Now, uh, since the high school days, have you uh, done any professional training in the medium? Uh, the closest I'd say was was like my time at Dark Elf Designs. Uh, Brian was definitely a really good mentor. For me, like he taught me like a lot of comic book stuff, like how the industry works and kind of this or that, and uh, it really helped me because like by the time that I was like forming forming my own company, I at least had an idea of how things went, and I felt confident enough that like anything I didn't know, I at least knew what questions to ask. You know what I'm saying? Like I knew. I knew enough to know what I needed to know, if you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And so that, that really helped, you know, the fact they had kind of like a 10-year apprenticeship under Brian and, like, you know, kind of, you know, taught me a lot of stuff, like how printing is done, like, like for example, like, oh, you, printing is done in multiples of four, you know, black and white is cheaper than color, you know, a lot of the basics like that, you know, like stuff that, like, you don't normally, stuff that you usually had to figure out for yourself, I was taught over a period of time, like, I was kind of exposed to things, like, had an idea of how things work, so it was a, it was a good learning experience, I'd say. I learned a lot from him, and um, you know, um, when, when I started my own company, it really, I, I, I kind of 
I had a bit of a leg up, I'd say. So you get to you get to learn on the job and uh, get paid for it, opposed to uh, paying someone else to teach you. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Of course, now there's a there's such a huge community out there uh, with people willing to help everybody else, and you know ideas being bounced around, and uh, it's a lot easier to to find out because there's face it everybody's got one of these shows <laughs> i mean heck i do and no, yeah. you know <laughs> 2020 hit and everybody had a show and i was like i go well i want to do that i mean um at you know at the time <sighs> i was sitting at home uh i'm disabled now so i'm like well, if I paid $50 to go to, like, a big show, I'd be hanging out in the artist alley talking to comic book writers and artists. So now I can just do that from the comfort <laughs> of, of my home and uh, and not have to wait in line for two hours for the handicapped bathroom. <laughs> yeah, saves you a bunch of time and money. Yeah, uh, I'm... I was planning on going to uh, RICC this year. It's like the 10th anniversary. And I went to like, I was at the very first one that took me like two and a half hours just to get through the door. Wow. Um, and I went to, I went there in 2019. Uh, I was writing for Outright Geekery at the time and I covered the convention for them. And uh, I'm, very angry at myself that I didn't get a piece signed by him, but I got to my first day in, go in and while they were still setting up, they let me in early uh, as a, you know, as a, as a press member and, you know, I'm in a wheelchair. So they're like, yeah, we're not officially open, but you can go in. Okay. <laughs> so I went in and I'm going to say I sat down, but, I'm in a wheelchair, so I'm always sitting. Uh, and I talked to Neil Adams for like pretty close <laughs> to an hour. Uh, and, you know, thanked him for so many awesome childhood memories and, uh, you know, saving the X-Men. That's That was a favorite story of, of, of his. Um, and I just kept the, su the subject on point talking about Neil's favorite thing, uh, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it was all well and fine. But it was pretty cool because later on in the day, I got to meet uh, Marty Abrams because when I grew up in the 70s, uh, the Mego toy line had, had just come out like in the early, six, you know, in the mid-60s mm -hmm. uh, with the like the world's greatest superhero line, like the the eight-inch figures with the cloth costumes, and I still think those things are cool. I still buy them. Uh, <laughs> and well, I I bought like the first wave. They they had the fiftieth uh, anniversary this year, so they're they're putting out like all these characters. Some some that are new to the line, but they're doing them in like the old school boxes from like the sixties. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. 
so I bought him. Uh, but I I talked to him and I'm like I go, so how are you enjoying the show? I go pretty good. I got to meet Neil out and he goes Neil's here. I go where? And I'm like straight straight down this hall, the last section before the door. <laughs> and Marty went down there because apparently. Neil Adams had done all the artwork on the original packagings and displays for Mego Toys for World's Greatest Superheroes back in the 60s. And I guess there's a photo from one of the toy magazines with Neil and Marty with their arms around each other when they were in their, like, their 20s. Oh, wow. So, they, so he went down and recreated the image like you know 45 years later and uh good thing he did because now uh he's sadly no longer with us but his daughter is carrying on his legacy by uh running instagram lives to sell everything that he'd ever done or worked on like warehouses of books that he had signed uh I guess, like, even before he passed, he was he was pumping out, like, 20 or 30, like, sketches or, like, full-blown color pieces a week. Yeah, that reminds me of, uh, like, how uh, Steve Ditko was working on Mr. A Comics, like, up until the year he died. Yeah. Like, wasn't there, like, a new one released in, like, 2017 or something? I think so. Uh, that is just crazy. That is I, so crazy. I, I remember hearing something about that. Well, because they they were so used to just pumping out book after book after book, and you know, some guys like you know Kirby would pump out like how many issues a month? Yeah, and and then you know. Retired. Same thing with uh, Joe Sonat, who I who I met a bunch of times, and uh, somewhere in my vast collection have uh, an original Huntress sketch that he did. Ooh, a, a couple of years before he passed, and um, Bob Almond, who's infamous for inking uh, Black Panther the later years. Uh, for Marvel does a uh, thing called the Inkwell Awards and it's a it's a fundraiser uh, that helps like inkers and artists because we all know <laughs> there's there's no <laughs> there's no benefits to uh, working this life that so many people love and So he does uh, he does fundraisers, and for the longest time, he was doing the Joe Sinat inking challenge, where they would take a piece of Joe's original work, get the blue lines, and then they'd they'd make like full blown like art pieces out of them, um, that would be like the same size, like the eleven by seventeen that you would get from if you bought like an original page or something. Okay. And other artists, uh, inkers, embellishers would come in and sign up for the challenge and and re-ink and embellish 
an original Joe Sinat piece. Hmm. Joe would also sign all of these. <laughs> so I have one that my friend uh, Rusty Gilligan inked of uh, of Loki on uh, on the Asgard throne, and then he he embellished a bunch of uh, Nordic uh, runes glowing in the wall. So I got a piece, an original piece signed by that that Rusty inked. Uh, signed by him and Joe. Joe actually signed it twice. So cool. That is so cool. And I, I still got it. It's in a top loader with uh, some very precious signed prints uh, by somebody else who passed uh, a favorite artist. If you read any DC comics back when you were a kid, you probably had some with uh, George Perez's. Uh, Oh, I am so sad that he passed recently. Oh, I know. Um, the thing, the thing that I wanted so badly is see, I'm a big New Teen Titans fan, and same. like that, that that was a comic that like really got me into comic like really deep. And I've always wanted a a copy of New Teen Titans number one signed by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Now I can still get it signed by Marv Wolfman, and that's cool. But like, I can't get one signed by George Perez. I mean. I mean, there's probably a bunch of New Teen Titans issue one signed with George Perez out there, but like I'd have to pay out the butt for it now. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, so, are you talking the uh, the Baxter version or like the earlier, like normal comic version? I'm talking about like uh, early '80s, like '81 kind of thing. Yeah, where they're all coming out of the cover. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, I didn't get that one, but out of George's own personal portfolio, the original art that he made into a print, awesomely, for uh, the Baxter version when they re when they relaunched New Teen Titans when they went after hmm. the whole Trigon story. Oh yeah, when they morphed into Tales of the Teen Titans. Yeah, and the uh, the Baxter edition, which became the new Teen Titans. Um, and then the original series became Tales. Yeah, I know for, I know, uh, I know at one point Tales was like the newsstand version. And yep. like it would, it would get like new, like the story was always like 14 months behind the main one. Mm -hmm. If I remember correctly, um, I don't know when they were doing that, but I remember like reading that in like a history book somewhere. Well, I got the cover for, I got the the art of the cover for uh, New Teen Titans number one, the Baxter uh, run, signed by Wolfman and Perez. Wow. By uh, and I got a couple. Is Garcia of other... Lopez still doing cons? Like uh, he's got to be a pre up there himself. Uh. Yeah, not on a huge regular basis, but he still like he still goes out to like certain ones. I, I would figure probably the bigger ones. Yeah, because like because uh, like uh, I know that he took over for on art duties after George left, and he honestly did a pretty good job. To be fair, yeah, it was, uh, and he does 
he does like such good work. My friend Thomas down in Georgia, his his favorite D, his favorite DC artist is because uh, he grew up reading you know the old Superman stuff, and uh, Garcia Lopez did you know all the art on that, and he was just like you know thrilled with all that stuff. Yeah, my top three is uh, George Perez, Scott McDaniel, and then uh, Garcia Lopez. And then probably number four would be Dave Gibbons, just purely because Watchmen. Um, but yeah, I'm a big Scott McDaniel fan because like uh, Nightwing, like his the Nightwing run of like the mid to late nineties. Yeah, like the Chuck Dixon Scott Scott McDaniel run of Nightwing is like quintessential for me. Like I'm a huge, huge, huge fan. Um, actually, my dream is to have uh, Scott McDaniel do a cover for me, which he actually doesn't charge like for like I think he charges like between a thousand and fifteen hundred. For a cover, which is actually no, he charges about a thousand. Mark Silvestri charges fifteen hundred with, which both of them is honestly not a bad deal, given who they are. Yeah, I uh, I met Silvestri. Silvestri was at the uh, the first Rhode Island Comic Con, and I got to hang out with him like off the floor. I like, love Sylvester's art. Like, like Mike Turner's art is like seriously. If I could pick, like t- Mike Turner is probably in my top five of favorite. Like, I think Mike Turner like is probably one of the best comic artists that no one talks about. Like, I think he's better than like Todd McFarlane in some instances. Like, uh, Mark, like t- Mike Turner's women are like the best in the business. Mm-hmm. No one drew women like him. Um, I, I didn't collect. Mike Turner stuff, but I loved it. And then I ended up collecting because I loved it so much. And he started doing like uh, this like amazing fantasy world um, that I think Aspen Comics has now. Uh, Fathom or whatever? No, no. that uh, Fathom was uh, Image. Well, started out as, as Image at least. Um, Soulfire. Okay. Um, which was just yeah, because wasn't amazing. Fathom originally a Top Cow comic? Yeah. Like that was kind of like a mega crossover. Like you had like Witchblade interacting with Tomb Raider, which is like one of the wildest crossovers ever. But like it just makes so much sense. Yeah, um, stuff like that. Uh, like my top my top ten artists would include, of course, uh, Neil Adams, um, Jim Aparo. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Grell and uh, Turner. Oh, I and the guy's name just slipped off my tongue. He passed away a few years ago. Well, more than a few years ago now. I think everything's a few years ago because I still think it's. <laughs> I still think it's I mean, the nine days ago. I mean, like, I mean, Darwin Cook. Recently... Oh yeah, Darwin. Like I bought uh, issues of DC that I don't even read because they did an entire like Darwin Cook tribute month, so everything had a had a Darwin Cook cover on it. Okay. And I was just like, 
I don't care. I'm keeping all these, and one day they will be up on a wall if I ever own a house. All right. Well, if I had to like enshrine a top ten comic artist, uh, let's see here. This is in no particular order. George Perez. Yeah. Mike Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott McDaniel. You know, naming the top three. Uh, George Perez. Yeah. Mike Turner. Jim Lee. Uh, let's see here. Um, I'm I'm kind of, I'm like kind of scanning, you know. Um, I'm trying to remember his John Arita Jr. I I feel like he's a very underrated artist. I I love his art. He you know. Um, the problem the problem with with Junior is he used to actually draw and draw like really good, but then one day he decided that he was going to draw everything with cross hatches and scribbles. Uh, and he wanted his own style to kind of like break away from his dad. And I'm like, Oh, you used to draw Spider-Man so well. I, I mean, I, I like that style of his, like uh, his work on kick-ass is really good. Like yeah. uh, the, the stuff like, and that was let that you got to realize Kick-Ass is actually in his late career. Like, he's still he's still active in the industry, which is, like, really nuts. But, like, you gotta realize, Kick-Ass was, was, like, towards the end of his prime. You know what I'm saying? Um, which, But it's still some of his best work, honestly, his work on Kick-Ass. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, but, yeah, John Arena Jr. is one of those, those artists I feel like doesn't get the respect they deserve. Um, you know, Michael Turner gets, gets a lot of, like, it's I feel I think Mike Mike Turner is starting to get some some of some respect. I think our, our people are starting to go back and realize, hey, he was pretty good. Thank you for that. Uh, um, well, book artist, I'm going to name Bruce Tim because his art is it was like really influential for a lot of comic art. You know what I'm saying? Like his work on Batman the anime series. Oh yeah, that was just. His his animated look like inspired like an entire generation. So, and it's still having an influence, you know, like the whole DC animated universe style. Like, because to be to be perfectly fair, um, like ba- Batman the anime series is actually a huge influence on Screecher. Like it's it you know Screecher is very much kind of inspired by like late nineties early two thousands. You know, kind of comics, and then like a lot of the like the DCAU is like a huge influence on it. Like, mm. I mean, just one look at like the the art, and you can definitely see that those influences. Yeah, when I was when I was like scanning the uh, the campaign the other day, I was like, this has got like a lot of like old school like cartoon vibes. Yeah, like one of the things I loved about the DCAU. Is they rolled that line between cartoon and serious really well. Like there's just kind of something about like '90s cartoons where it's like you see, you know, you get stuff like, like Gargoyles, obviously DCAU, X Men, the animated series, to where they were perfectly appropriate for kids, but they had very serious storytelling to the point where, like, you know, let's say you had your little brother, your uncle, your father, X Men with you. They were enjoying it just as much as uh, the kids were, you know. Maybe, maybe on different levels, but still, it was, 
it's that it's that it's that kind of true family entertainment that I, I kind of really want to bring back. You know, you, you kind of saw it like uh, with stuff like Shrek, where yeah. like you know it would have the poop and fart jokes, but then they make those dirty jokes that you know it's like I I always like I always wanted to capture the moment where like a kid's watching a movie with their parents, all of a sudden the dad chuckles, and the kid's like, "What? What's so funny?" He's like, "You'll get it when you're older." And then when you watch it when you're older, it's like, holy shoot, holy crap, this film is a lot dirtier than I realized. Yeah, and I call that the Looney Tunes effect. <laughs> I'm laughing because you're right. I'm laughing because of how right you are. Yeah. That's, I'm uh, not laughing at you. I had the exact same thing that you just described. I had happen. Uh, my daughter's 14 now, so uh, when the Angry Birds movie came out and... Uh, <laughs> I rented it on. I got it on demand because she wanted to watch it with me. Uh, that exact same thing happened. What's so funny? Nothing. I was just thinking about something. Pay attention, <laughs> pay attention to the movie, Dad. I'm like, okay, I am. <laughs> what? Nothing. Yeah, it's just crazy. You go back and watch some of these movies, like, like you know, like I brought up Shrek. You know, which, by the way, the first Shrek actually holds up fairly decently. Oh, yeah. You know, the sequels, maybe not so much. But that first one actually has a bit, little bit of heart to it, you know. And the the second one also, I, I think, also holds up kind of good as well. Um, But, yeah, like, because, so, like, the thing is, so Turn Samurai is a mature-rated comic. It's, like, black and white, manga-inspired you know, kind of like a light R kind of thing, like curse words, violence, whatever, which it's fine. You know, it's fine for what it is. But I had a lot of, uh, like, more than once, I had a situation at a convention where a parent would say to me, like, hey, we like your comic, but we're buying for our kids. Or, like, the kids like, or, like, the kids wanted to buy the comic, but the parents saw the mature audience's only label I put on it because I'm trying to be fair. I said, oh, it's literally says mature audiences. You can't get it. And I'm not knocking the parent. They're just being good parents. You know, that yeah. that's that is, you know, um, that's not the problem. So basically, I wanted an all ages comic. And by that I mean eleven plus, eleven, twelve, maybe thirteen plus, you know, like like that kind of thing where it's not kitty, but it's not like, you know, yeah, teenager and out. above. Like yeah, eighteen and, and above, yeah. Yeah, like, appropriate enough to where, like, let's say you had an eight-year-old and the parent could buy it and an eight-year-old could probably read it if need be, you know, kind of thing. Um, And so that's why I created Screecher, you know, like, there's no cursing, like, you know, you kind of read it and, like, like, she gets, you know, it's like there's minimal blood, like, you know, it's like she kind of falls out of the sky, she says, crap! You know, stuff like that, you know, violence is, is... is kept to, I mean, there's, it's kept to a necessary kind of thing, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm deaf, you know, and I try to, there's not really any sexuality, and if, if there is any, it's suggestive, kind of like what we talked about at most, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so, so I, I made it to kind of fill that gap, and, uh, I, I created this creature to kind of be like very generally broad appealing, and, um, I feel like I've accomplished that goal to a certain degree uh, because 
I remember every time at a, I'm at a convention and like I describe Screecher to people or like I show them art, they actually get really excited. And also the response I've gotten from this Indiegogo is also another indication that like I may be tapping into a vein here, I think. Yeah. Um, there needs There needs to be more appropriate comics for kids. I, I agree. Like, and the other thing for me is, um, and you probably noticed this too, like a lot of comic creators, they do comics that are homages to 80s and 90s comics, which is fine. You know, if that's what they want to do, that's what they want to do. That's, that's fine. But for me, I'm kind of bumping up the timeline a little bit and I'm doing an homage to like the late 90s, early 2000s comics. You know, stuff like obviously Nightwing, Young Justice, and then maybe including some Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate X-Men kind of stuff, you know. Um, and that's that's the era that I'm hitting because, like, I'm going for post-comics crash, you know, kind of comics. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because in always, a three-year time period from, like, 95, if you compare the comics of 95 to 98, it's like night and day. They're like two. They, you, you, you'd be hard pressed to tell they're, they're that they're like. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just crazy because like people would be like, "Oh, you're selling some of your collection." Whatever. I go nineties. Like, uh, that stuff's trash. But now all their little brothers and sisters that heard about the nineties comics that were good, but they flooded the market with everything. Hello, Disney. Uh, <laughs> and they crashed it. Uh, personally, I might be waiting for a crash so I can get some books that... Because uh, when the market crashes, all the back issues crash, too. Yeah. And, and the, the thing about 90s comics is that even if there is more demand, there's still like there's still a supply. Like, uh, I actually saw this post on Twitter. There's, there's, you, you can go to Ollie's. And they're still selling 90s comics by the bundle to this day in Ali, yep. in places like Ali. So it's like, that's how how much, like, you gotta remember, these comics were selling by the millions in, in the comic boom period. And so, even if there's a huge demand, there's ample supply. Like, they're, like the fact that they're still trying to offload comics from the 90s to this day in discount stores says a lot. Yeah. There's there's so many of them, and it's just that they still haven't gotten rid of the backstock. Twenty years later, and uh, I love Ollie's from all the stories I've heard. They just put like a couple like up in my area. They just opened like a brand new one. Um, and I would love to go there. My friend Thomas that I mentioned earlier, him and I do a show called OK Boomer, where we pick a book like every week, we both read it, and then we go like, you know, through the story like page by page and uh, you know, just talk about it to bring to bring some old books to life, like mm-hmm. golden, gold and silver, uh, bronze and copper age stuff. Mostly every once in a while, when a when a holiday comes up, we'll we'll tackle like a, a big book. Like last year for the holidays, we did uh, Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. And uh, this week we're, do- we're doing Fool Killer number one because hmm. it was such an underrated book. 
Yeah. And I feel like as time goes forward, we're just going to see... We're going to see more early 2000s comics homages. Like, honestly, I think we're going to see, like, an ultimate spot. Like, uh, like I feel like probably within the next five years, some mad lad is going to create, like, a, a comic that harkens back to, like, Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate X-Men. Because, like, I feel like those early Ultimate comics were something special. Like, they yeah. had this very unique feel to them. They're very unique texture. Um, and their approach to comics, not just the art, but, like, like honestly, the like I really love the art of the early two thousands, especially Marvel. Like their kind of pseudo three D ish art. Like what's really crazy is Marvel was going for more of a three dimensional kind of look with their art, while DC at the time was very flat. Like mm-hmm. like Easy Comics, and I love both of them. I love the art of both of them. But like if you look at like the Batman comics of like you know two thousand two, it's a very flat look. Like it has shading and heavy shadows. But it's a very flat look versus you, you, you flip the pages of, like, Ultimate Spider-Man issue 1 and 2. It almost looks like it was done by Pixar, you know, yeah. almost. And, and it's like, both of them are amazing art, but it's just crazy. It's such a drastic difference between the two approaches. Yeah, it's crazy. Speaking of approaches, let's take a look at this. Screecher number one. 73 backers, four only four days left. 142% of the $1,300 fixed flexible goal uh, sitting at eighteen fifty one currently. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping to get to about $2,000, but I, I'm feeling like I'll be able to at least hit 1900 before the campaign is up. I mean, I'm only like less than $50 there, so I think there's a good chance I'll at least get 1900 if not the full 2000 Yeah. It'd be nice. Well... As you know, when when you approach like the last couple of days, Indiegogo or Kickstarter will send out that, hey, did you forget about us? Because here it is, and there's only 48 hours left. Yeah, yeah. $2,000, I, I hit the next stretch goal. So, um, I'm, you know, at least there's that bit of a carrot there. So first, uh, let's take a look at your trailer. Hmm. My name is Avery Fletcher. After seven years away, I have come home with only one goal, to save my father. But to do that, I can't be the woman I once was. To honor my father's legacy, I must become someone else. I must become something else. I must become Screecher. Nice and short to the point. And uh, it reminds me a little bit like I said, when she's in costume, I get like that, you know, Batgirl 66 vibe a little bit. Mm-hmm. I also see the the Screecher logo and think uh, Court of Owls. <laughs> That's a pretty low-hanging fruit, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, and 
then I then I heard what sounded like the intro to Arrow. Yeah, that that one was deliberate. Like I, yeah, I, I that one. Like I pretty much use the intro to Arrow season one as like a literary framing device, where like even to the point where like I copied the uh, the the intro and then like really kind of changed the wording to fit it. So it uses literally the same structure, mm-hmm. but it is different. It is my own words, but I'm I'm using the structure of it. Because like I feel like the intro to Screech, the intro to Arrow, I felt was like a really good framing device for the trailer. And as far as vibes, it definitely fit the vibe I was trying to go Screecher. Um, so it just it just worked out perfectly in the end. So yeah, I, I copied the framing device. Yeah, the the first couple of seasons of that were, were awesome. Yeah, the first two seasons are are literally perfect television in my opinion. Uh, and then he stopped killing people. I'm like. Oh no. And then he just... and then he killed people, and then he stopped, then he killed people. Yeah, it's... And I'm like he didn't deserve to live. Yeah, there's actually a YouTube video I once watched that, that, that like they so perfectly satirized it. It's like a, a YouTube channel called Warp Zone. I'll I'll send you a link after the show is done. You can get a you can get a chuckle out of it. Cool. Now uh let's first talk about your featured tier. Yes, sir. So, feature tier, $50. It's limited to 20, uh, and 9 out of 20 are sold, so you're almost halfway, 50% sold out uh, of this. What is included in the feature tier? So, the feature tier is uh, everything, like, non-collector-wise. So, you get a physical copy of the comic, you get the hollow comic, you get trading cards, you get a digital comic, and then also you get a print along with it. Okay, cool. And then we have just the digital comic, a.k.a. the Australian variant. <laughs> You're welcome, Mr. Bancroft. Uh, yes, that, just, for, a- just for him. That, mm-hmm. that tier was made just for him. Yep. I can hear his theme music already and chuckling at his <laughs> intro. And just the physical copy, only ten dollars. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I honestly, like, I mean, I sell them for five at conventions. Uh, the the extra five is just more for fundraising purposes. I mm-hmm. mean, shipping is extra, so you're kind of paying like close to twenty for it. I just. I don't know. I, I don't really like selling my comic for too much of a markup. I mean, honestly, even selling it for five at conventions, I don't like doing it. But like because it costs like sometimes two two fifty to print. If I could, I would sell my comics for three dollars. But that's just not nowhere near economically feasible. I might be able to get away with four, but like just five. Five it just kind of feels comfortable. It gives me a comfortable little meat on the bone. Yeah, because that way you get you get reimbursed, uh, kind of like a two for one basis. At, yeah, at, at conventions for you know the printing cost that you already incurred. Yeah, and and plus like and going to conventions, there's there's also like the gas to get there. Oftentimes, I buy lunch and just like a bunch of other things. So it's just cost um, of the table. 
Yeah, like if I was if I was getting my comics printed for like a buck fifty um, or a dollar, I would probably be more comfortable setting it at three. Like if I was selling a bunch of co- like if I was selling like two hundred copies of a comic per con, I might actually like sell it for three. Um, but like, just the num the numbers aren't there yet. Yeah. And let's let's get down to the nitty gritty. How many pages in this book? Uh, there are twenty two uh, pages of story. Oh, so it's like a modern comic. So twenty two pages, ten dollars. How very mainstream of you. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, no, it's an, it's a number one. There should be useless reprints in the back of that. And and charge like twenty dollars if it was Marvel. I mean, honestly, if this was like a full on graphic novel, like you know, like once I print, like once I get the first, like so, this is supposed to be four issues. Is going to be volume one. Even when I get to that, I'm probably going to sell the collected edition for like twenty dollars. You know, just I mean, printing costs may may dictate otherwise, but like that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. But yeah, this is just a basically your standard floppy. Standard floppy for ten bucks for an indie book is, you know, I'm so used to seeing you know, the the standard uh, twenty five dollars a book thing. Uh, yeah, that's just now. I mean, if if that's a graphic novel, if that if that's like thirty, forty, sixty pages, okay, sure, that that sounds a little more reasonable. Um, but mine's just a floppy. Like I, I actually feel bad for selling it for ten, but like I just I do it for ten on the just to help with fundraising. So I'm trying to go for a print run. Yeah, because uh, but I I actually don't mind the twenty five because usually that's like sixty to a hundred plus pages. Yeah, and I'm nowhere near that, so I just can't really see. Yeah, yeah that, like sixty to hundred pages for twenty five dollars is not that bad of a deal. That's, I mean, that's I, like you know that's like mainstream standard. You know twenty twenty five dollars for like a collection. A trade, a yeah, collection trade paperback. Yeah, and you know I I prefer the trade hardback myself, but because I've yeah. got so many I've got so many soft covers, and you know after you've read them like a few times, then you have to put like weights on top of them to keep the pages from curling up on you. Uh, yeah, hardcover is more the stuff that you want to keep long term. But if it's just kind of like short term stuff, where it's like you don't mind it wearing out after five years, it's yeah, I think it's okay to uh, have a soft cover. Yeah, because I really liked uh, when the the big two that are like the big two losers now, um, <laughs> literally. Yeah, uh, I mean, last year I quit. I grew up on Batman because they had just put the the 66 series into syndication when I was a kid. Oh, I remember uh, reruns. They used to have the reruns on the sci-fi channel. And I'd be homesick and I'd be watching that all day. Um, When I was a kid, like the local, it was like local affiliates. So there was a channel 38 out of Boston uh, would make me late for school every day (laughs) uh, because they would show... One episode of 66 Batman, followed by one episode of the original Scooby-Doo. Okay. 
because Scooby was first because I I'd seen him like a million times. Even at the age of five, I had seen them a million times. <laughs> so, because uh, they were like on every channel, and uh, but then you know I didn't want to miss Batman. The colors, and especially if it was an episode with Caesar Romero as the Joker. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. My favorite fun fact from that show is the fact they painted over his mustache because he refused to shave it. Yep, and and the best thing is when they started putting out more merch of him as the Joker. A few years back, uh, they sculpted it with the mustache on his upper lip <laughs> and just painted it white. I'm like, it's awesome. I've got I've okay. Got, I've got like that is Caesar an Romero. unnecessary. That is an unnecessary detail they didn't have to do, but God bless them. Yeah, and I'm like, that's awesome. I I've got like a Caesar Romero, one of the vinyl banks that they stopped making because they realized, well, people aren't buying statues because they can get. Vinyl bank for like twenty bucks, and it's, you know, it's almost the same thing. Especially now, since all their statues are like PVC plastic statues that they want to get like, you know, fifty to one hundred and fifty dollars for. I go, you just threw this into a plastic mold and had a had a machine spray it. It's it's not even really breakable. <laughs> but so who did who did this? Uh, this first cover we're seeing here. Um, that would be done by a gentleman named Zevius. I know Zevius. I asked him yes. to be on the show and he said, Well, wait wait till I get something to come on the show about. Okay. <laughs> Ten dollars, it's it's a it's a great price. There's a close up of that cover. I I love like the the lighting glare off the headlamp of the bike. Yeah, he he uh, he he was he like honestly that that dude was so so great to work with, so patient, so very kind. Like you know, like obviously I'm not as like much of a professional as him, but like he treated me fairly. He treated me so well. Um, you know, I'm just I am so glad I went with him, and I will definitely be working with him again cool and honestly i recommend anybody seriously hit him up he'd be more than happy to work with you yeah keep uh keep the artist working because you know if not that coffee got, doesn't pay for itself you know i'm telling you and you know even even when they go on sale at Michael's, those those uh, those markers are still expensive if he does if he does anything physical. So you know. Yeah, I remember uh, when I was taking art courses at my college, I had to buy a lot of those art supplies. I still have them. Oh my god, were they expensive? Oh, I know. Uh, so tell us about the goodie bag here. Oh yeah, so with this one, uh, you'll get uh, stickers the trading cards, as well as the comic, the sticker itself being designed by 6AM. Nice. Yeah. You know, was, it's like I, I was going to ask, I go, that style looks familiar to me. I think I own some of them. <laughs> well, uh, now you can own some more. Oh, well, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, only 20 bucks. Yep. Uh, and then, so... Everything physical is $9 domestic shipping and $25 international. 
And then $75 Australian. Yeah. Yeah, you 75 dungaree dues. You just have to do the math. Now I have to ask because you have a hollow foil cover. Yes. But there's, there's no picture of a hollow foil cover. Yeah, that's because uh, I don't have one made yet. So it's like, do I just like do the cover over again? And I think because there's no picture of the hollow foil cover, which is why it doesn't look like anybody outside that bought a outside of like the uh, the featured tier, uh, you know, bought it separately. Yeah, pretty understandable, honestly. It's like it's like we're we're visual people. We we want to see what we're buying. Oh yeah, I totally get it. I I completely get it. I'm not even mad. Like I'm not even mad, upset, or frustrated. I just, I totally get it, you know? Okay, tell tell me about the Talon edition. Alright, this one is the, like, the collector's kind of tier. Uh, basically, you get everything in the all the comics tier, and you get an additional third comic, which is spot-foiled and will be spot-foiled in purple. It's limited to 25. The people uh, who order this get the early numbers. And uh, they also get a print signed by both me and Z. The print will be signed by both me and Zevius. It's going to be limited to 10. They're going to be hand-numbered, so it's like 1 to 25, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, they get their name in the back of the book. Talent Edition is $100, but you get some, some super extra perks with that. Yes. And she free her father after seven years away. <laughs> and that's a uh, actual page from the book. And I'm 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 looking at the feathers, and she got like the little owl ears coming up out of them. <laughs> that of course look like horns in the shadows. Yeah, it's and good I'm, for the silhouette. I'm like, and it gave me like a quick flash of. Sorceress from He-Man walking away. Yeah, so basically, uh, Screecher's uh, inspiration, like com- uh, costume-wise, is a mixture of a bunch of different things. Like you got your Batman slash Batgirl, Moon Knight. Uh, then the cape is li- like directly from Dove from the show Titans. Yeah. Like if, 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 if like basically, like literally, it's it's like I lifted that cape, you know, because it's just such a great design. And it fits Screecher so perfectly. Hood wise, I was I was kind of aping off of Assassin's Creed a little bit with like kind of like how it mm-hmm. pointed downward and whatnot. With with Moon Knight, I was really trying to go for like the blackness and then the eyes, but like you could kind of see your mouth, like kind of like the Batman kind of thing, where yeah. it's like all in shadows. Like and then equipment wise, I was kind of cute for things like she has like uh, claws, kind of like Black Panther. And you see in that panel that where I do like a straight homage to the poster. Mm-hmm. But like she's looking down at her claws. That is, that is meant to be an homage to Black Panther. Rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. And then you get the uh, the talons on the feet. Yep, those are used for uh, like grasping onto like walls and stuff to help her either climb or hang. But also, uh, she can like swoop down like a bird of prey and pick people up using those talons. And then I see a very. Uh... Batman the Animated Series uh, grappling hook coming out of her arm. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's made to be like kind of like a redundancy. Like you can fly like Batman Beyond style, but like the grappling hook is either for when the flight system doesn't work or when she wants to be silent. And uh, I I would take that that's a that's a collapsible grappling hook. Otherwise, it'd be a big giant grappling hook like on the outside <laughs> of her arm. Yes, yes, it is collapsible. <laughs> And the motorcycle. Yeah, like she had to have a mode of transportation. I I put that in. Basically, it was like I wanted to ride a motorcycle because motorcycles are cool. Also, <laughs> like I I love the look of of like a superhero riding down on a motorcycle and their cape flapping like that. I think it's just such a cool shot. Yeah. So it's basically just because I wanted to and because because cool rule of cool kind of thing. You know, it's just like. I wanted a badass superhero chick on a motorcycle. I mean, seriously. Can anyone fault me? <laughs> no. And, you know, in in the past, uh, we've had uh, a Huntress on a motorcycle. Yeah, like, I'm actually a big fan of Huntress, and, you know, um, I'm not gonna, like, like, I would go as far to say that, like, perhaps Huntress on a motorcycle subconsciously influenced me, like, there's a lot of things that, like, looking back, I feel, like, subconsciously influenced me. Like, I wasn't, like, directly thinking about it, but, like, it was, more, like, okay, yeah, that was probably somewhere in the back of my head screaming. Yeah, this is a this is a cool idea. And then you're, like, oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, lots of that kind of stuff, you know. What's a good hero without a great villain? Yeah, this this one might get me into a little bit of trouble, but I didn't care. Kathleen Johnson. Oh, you get you instantly got it, I assume. Uh, no, I just read the name like that because she looks kind of like pompous. <laughs> well, she is based off of a, a very pompous person, Kathleen Kennedy. Oh. God. Yes, the villain of Screecher is literally Kathleen Kennedy. It's it, it becomes even more obvious. Her 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 uh, assistant is named Lucas Stevens. Oh my god! And his look is based off of George Lucas's look from the seventies. I just I couldn't help myself. Like I just I just couldn't help myself. It just. At first, I thought, like, oh, my God, people are going to give me such crap for this. But, like, not everyone is really picking up on it. So I'm, I'm kind of hopeful, you know? And, of course, fulfillment's being done by RJ over a Critical Blast, where pop hey, culture gets blasted. When you, when you want to get it done, you hire the best. Comics will spring. So, Blink, tell me about the extras, like the uh, the stretch goals. Yeah, so people have already unlocked the stretch goal for fifteen hundred, which is a circle sticker based off of the uh, like the screecher badge. You know, like kind of like the, her circular symbol. Okay. Cool. Um, 
And then uh, at two thousand dollars is going to be a, like a, a set of like one to three prints, uh, based off of like the concept art for for creature. At two point five k is a, a magnet version of six am's artwork. Oh, and then nice. at three, and then at three k will be a eight page uh, short comic. You know, giving some backstory on. One of the characters, as to be decided later. So, like a little ash can treatment, almost. Yeah, like I'm, I'm kind of doing something like that with Turn Samurai, where like uh, there's this guy who does like AI art, and he wanted to kind of collab. So I, I did like I, I wrote up like an eight page kind of backstory from the character Turn Samurai called Torn Hundred Dreams, and uh, it's gonna be like an exclusive on his website. And then I get to print it physically, so it's just kind of like, eh, I don't have to pay anything, you know? But uh, I can print up an eight-page AI art-driven stuff to sell at cons, so it's all good. Yeah, that works. But there's only four days left. Final countdown. So, I mean, the book looks cool. It's got that, you know, that anime vibe. Uh, it's got a lot of, uh, okay, I'll be honest. Uh, I'm in just to hopefully watch her demolish Kathleen Kennedy. I, I mean, uh, in the first issue, she literally uh, swipes a USB drive from her and causing bandage, having her to get bandages, so... Uh, if you buy this book, you will get some uh, some uh, some good action and a great animated <laughs> look from the nineties. I like best. I like this panel. Uh, you know, very very bat caveish of you know almost the treatment that uh, Jason Todd's Robin costume got. After the Joker killed him. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Spoilers. Where have you been for the last 30 years? Um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but this is this is just a cool image. Yeah. So now let me ask you. Uh, are you planning on trying to put one of these out more than once a year. I would like to eventually. It's just uh, the way I do things doesn't really uh, allow that. <laughs> Plus, because like the same artist works on both Turn Samurai and Screecher. And I really want to work at both. I really want to do both books at the same time, especially since Screecher is a little bit farther along. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm planning up. So I'm going to be putting out two books a year, but it's going to be one Screecher one turn samurai. So it just would be unfair to the turn samurai people to have to have them wait two years for a book. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I don't want to be that kind of person where it's like, oh, Screechers is huge hit. I'm going to prioritize that. You know? Whereas, like, turn samurai, it's still sold. It still sells. And there's still a fan base for it. So it's like, I don't want to just abandon turn samurai when it, it in and of itself, while not a as big of a success, it still has an appeal. You know? You ever think in the future of possibly 
launching an issue of both of them together on the same campaign? I'm not opposed to that in and of itself. It's just the way I do things. I like to have the book done before, or at least mostly done, before I launch the campaign. Because, like, I feel like it kind of instills confidence in it. Because, like, that, because at that point, I'm only really going for a print run. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I know. Um, that's what, that's what, uh, I've talked to a bunch of people that, that do that, um, that won't launch a campaign until the book is, like, you know, in the can complete. Like, I know, uh, that's how Roland Mann does it over at Silverline Comics. And they put out, you know, a lot of books you know, for an indie producer. And they run, some of them are like, you know, dual campaigns. Every once in a while, the the characters will be, you know, have such a similar fan base that sometimes they'll actually do like an old school flip book. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not always open to new ideas. I just, uh, I just, at this point, like, doing, like, one in the spring, one in the fall, you know, I, you know, kind of thing. Just focusing on one book at a time. Like, once uh, once I get done with these volumes and I put out the trades, I'll probably, like, probably switching up the artist for one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that'll kind of speed things up a little bit. Uh, but beyond that, it's just going to be slow. I mean, That's- like, if people, if people really want more than one issue per, per year, they gotta really, uh, like, support these books to the point where it's like, I'm literally incentivized to pour money into speeding up the process. Yeah. You know, it's, there, there, there's so many, the indie market is, like, so huge right now. Uh, and, and popular, obviously, because there's so many of these campaigns that just, you know, Boom. Oh, we're funded. Well, let's keep pushing. Because <laughs> basically, honestly, um, what I'd like to do is, because once once I get the first, so there's five issues in volume one of Turn Samurai and four issues in volume one of Screecher. Once I get done with all the books, I'm going to do another campaign for a trade. You know, in between then, I'm going to like go back and kind of tweak the books and make them better. You know, and then hopefully I raise enough money from that one to where my new process is going to be, I'm just going to get all of the issues of the volume done in one go. Mm-hmm. You know? And then maybe do, like, an Indiegogo for, like, volume two. So it's, like, it might might have taken, like, three or four years for, like, volume one to come out, but volume two hopefully could come out two years later, one year later kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. That, that's what I'm hoping for, but it's just kind of got to build up to it because, like, um, I, I need to, I need to get things national. Once I get a trade paperback thing, I can like look at going into like Barnes and Noble or like regular comic stores, and then like uh, volume issue three, Turn Samurai's coming up in April. Once that's out, I can like look at getting uh, distribution for like Diamond or Lua, Luna, or like partnering with Sourcepoint or Antarctic or. Who knows? Maybe even Alternative will pick it up, you know? Um, And then that'll be a big boon for me. Uh, And that should give me enough of an infusion to uh, 
to like finish off the rest of the volume. Um, you know. Yeah, not just that, that, but if if uh, pizza picks you up, uh, the issues will be cheaper because newsprint. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, like for example, Turn Samurai would probably do really good newsprint because it's black and white. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, and, like, I'm always looking to improving, like, Turn Samurai on uh, issue three. I'm actually going to be experimenting with, like, a... I'm going to... Uh, uh, the, 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 the art style is actually getting get fully revamped. So I'm going for more for, from a high contrasty black and white to full-on grayscale. Mm-hmm. And the collector's edition, instead of just being a hollow foil cover... Is actually going to be uh, black, white, and red. So I'm actually going to be putting red into the comic. You know, like the blood splatters, coats, hair, fire. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's be called the Blood and Steel edition. Yeah, and that's, that's going to. Yeah, that's going to be the collector's edition. I'm doing that as kind of an experiment to see how people like it. Also, to give more value to collector's edition, instead of it just being a straight hollow cover, it's actually a different kind of comic, a little bit. Yeah, I remember the first black, white, and red book that I got, and it was back in the 90s, I think, was uh, by Matt Wagner, and it was Grendel. Yeah, so um, hopefully that takes off, and then, um, you know, going to public, you know, do that one. Yeah, and then, uh, and then, like, I got more books I want to do, like, so I got, like, four books kind of in, like, my phase one. Mm-hmm. It's Turn Samurai, Screecher. Uh, I mentioned Product Access. That's actually going to get a full-on reboot. Mm-hmm. But before I do Product Access, I got a third book that's in the mix called Eco Ray, which is kind of like an Aquaman meets Iron Man kind of book. Um, you know, set in Seattle kind of stuff, like corporate shenanigans, you know, corporate Game of Thrones, I'd like to call it, you know. Um, you know, that one's gonna be that one's going to be pretty cool. Uh, that one's also four issues, and then, uh, you know, I'm going to be getting a whole new artist. Like, I want to do like a kind of like a watercolor coloring kind of style for it. That's going to be really cool. And then product product access. I'm going to redo it, give it more of a, like an Eon Flux kind of art style. Like I kind of have like Eon Flux kind of art style already, but I'm going to really lean into it for these next issues. Cool. Yeah. What a lot of people don't get is like, well, why is it so long between issues? Because this doesn't pay the bills. This is just something I love to do. And I got to work a real job, sometimes a crappy job. But I got to work a a real job so I can keep a roof over my head and do what I got to do and still make comic books. Yeah. You know, like... Like, uh, like for example, I was planning on doing three issues next year. Like, I was gonna do Screecher, I mean, uh, t- Turn Samurai, Screecher in the summer, and then Turn Samurai issue four in the fall. Um, but like, because my artist takes like three, four months to do a single book, you know, um, uh, I, I, it just wouldn't be viable. Like, I might be able to do it, but I'd be really pushing myself. It'd be really freaking stressful. And um, I just figure it's best just to do two because, like, I've proven I can handle two Indiegogos in a year. 
So just just do that and then do more cons and then go from there, you know? I it's just not viable. I, like I'm gonna have to bring in another artist uh, if I want to put out more books and then but that's just gonna take a bit. So you gotta build the fan base so you can bring on another artist because another artist means more money. Yeah, you know, um like yeah, like I'm hoping by the time I get to Eco Ray, I, I basically have a whole new team for that one, and those those people run a lot faster. So it's like, you know, I just uh, I I hopefully have enough money to where I can just get everything done, like just take a year, get like all four issues made, and then the next year, um, do a do a uh, do a big Indiegogo for the trade, you know. Yeah, it's uh it's a good it's a good plan. Um this book looks like really cool. I like like the aspects of it and I'm sure uh like most people would be like the villain is Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah, and it's Dark just going to get better. It's Kathleen Kennedy-esque. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's just going to get better. Like issue 2, I, I there's some cool stuff like a new villain appears. A villain that's kind of more like a uh, more like on the street level kind of thing. It's like a, uh, it's you know, and and like the villain has like a connection to Avery's past, you know, and like the cool thing is the villain uses a rope dart, kind of like Scorpion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yes, there will be a scene where the villain says, "Get over here." Yes, I I have no shame. <laughs> Get over here. It's like you know. It's sometimes it's just like I I, I love my references and I, I can't help myself. So <laughs> hell yeah! But yeah. So it's gonna be four issues. I mean, heck, in issue four of Spreacher, there's an entire sequence that I wrote that's literally an homage to the to the uh, the takedown scenes from Arkham Asylum. Oh, cool. You know the ones where like you're perched on the gargoyles, you gotta like stealthily take down the guards. Oh, I love that. Yeah, there's literally a scene where I do that where like I actually like uh emulate some of the takedowns and I even copy some of the lines the guards say, you know. <laughs> it's 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 it is such an on the nose homage. I I, I had like I just gotta say I had so much fun writing that scene. Like I had so much fun writing it. Like I literally like sketched out a pen to where like, okay, here's where each gargoyle is. Here's the grates where things are. She's, you know, like I, I put, it was so much fun writing that scene. Yeah. I'm, I'm just having flashbacks of playing. Asylum <laughs> in my head. Uh, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't, I haven't touched the console in, like seven or eight years. <laughs> There's a lot of good games coming out. I mostly play on PC and Switch myself. Those, that's my jam. Yeah, like I'm a I I I haven't played. I play uh, Neverwinter online because it's free. <laughs> that that's when I play a game when it's free. I'm not paying you a monthly subscription for anything. I'm sorry. I will buy yeah, a game. And play a game. But I don't want to have to do that. But yeah, fair enough. So 
I want to thank you for coming on and hanging out and tell, talking about uh, Screecher One and a, and a few other things. Um, and I wish you all the best with this. Uh, people need to get out and back this within the next four days if they haven't. If you've already backed it, please share it out on all your social medias to get more eyes on this. And uh, we will hopefully be seeing issue two next year and another uh, turn samurai uh, in the beginning of the year, I take it, right? Oh, turn samurai issue three is already uh, starting to develop more in the early stages. Like the script is pretty much edited. Um, and I'm already starting to work with my artist on concept sketches and then, uh, you know, just kind of working on things. We'll probably be starting full production of issue three, probably in January. That That's the current estimate. Cool. So this looks good. Uh, you're doing a good job with this stuff. Uh, wish you all the best. And I mean, you got a Xevious cover, you got a 6 a.m. sticker, uh, the only thing I didn't see, which would make Shay the Red sad, is is there's no patch. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I need to, I I need to fix that for the next campaign. That that would be a big get. Just you know, her logo patch, and boom, look great on a jacket. Oh yeah, I will at at some point in the near future. I I will be uh trying to find a jacket that i can sh probably like a bomber jacket or something and i'm just gonna bring it to the tailor up the street be like okay i've pinned them where i want them all <laughs> do your thing and here's my logo embroider it in the front <laughs> <laughs> so I want to thank you so much for coming on and uh, we'll be talking soon. Hopefully uh, in the next couple of days, this thing uh, pops over the 2K and you can hit your next stretch goal. Because I know yep. people will love that. Oh, yeah. <sighs> so until next time, uh, I want to thank my guest tonight, uh, Nick from uh, the Phoenix Press. And, uh, mm -hmm. and his two little furry friends for coming and hanging out. <laughs> they, they didn't have much to say. They're just chilling. But, you know. Drake, Drake says thank you. Oh, thank Why, thank you, Drake. <laughs>